This is a 980 CKNW podcast. You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. I've got a couple tech experts with me. I've got Graham Williams, who you know, and of course, John Beeler as well. We have a really interesting program for you today. We're going to be talking later in the show with a 3D printer manufacturer that's actually based here in Vancouver. And they, they make the 3D printers here in town as well. They don't outsource that to China or uh, or anywhere. Uh, we will also be chatting with Mark Salsman, our video game expert, who's down at the Electronics Expo in Los Angeles, learning about all the hot new video game trends. And if you are complaining about your data plan, and we all are because there's never enough data, the big three have announced some sweeping new changes to their data plans. You have to stay tuned to find out the pricing and how much data you get because for a lot of people, you're going to save yourself some money. Let's talk about some of the news, uh, guys. Uh, this was an interesting one. Samsung has uh, patented a, uh, a rollable phone display, which is interesting. And so I guess rolling uh, displays or Roll-up displays aren't entirely new. LG's got a TV that will do that. Uh, but sometime in the near future, we could see rollable phone displays. As far as the folding phone went, do we actually want this? Yeah, the durability factor is probably going to be a big concern for most people. I'm wondering with a rollable, though, it might be better. Yeah, I mean, there's no hinge. So there's, there's no hinge, that. yeah. So we're talking about uh, Samsung with their Galaxy Fold. Uh, had issues. They sent out a bunch of these to journalists and a bunch of journalists broke them <laughs> within days, which is not great. Uh, and now uh, they've been delayed in launching it. They pushed the launch date out. And now a lot of uh, carriers have uh, uh, said that they're not going to be picking the phone up. Well, so, so my question here is how does a rollable display make life any better? I could see it for like a television. Right, yes. you know, you've got almost like a like a like a roller shade. Yes, it kind of comes down like a projection screen, right? Yeah, yeah, it slides yeah. back, and you don't need the projector. That's great, right? Would work in just about any room and any lighting conditions. Fantastic for a mobile device, though. Like, is the slab of flat plastic and glass is that that bad? It's, this seems like a, a patent for a solution to a problem that nobody has. It, it almost feels like, you know, you, I, what I'm picturing in my head is like the scrolls that they used to use <laughs> in medieval times where, you know, the squire would show up and say, I have bad news, please don't shoot me. Like that's it's like a, the, it's like a fruit roll-up. <laughs> a delicious, oh, wow. delicious. Apple fruit roll-up. Hey. Oh. <laughs> oh, Apple, you're welcome. You are welcome. Uh, so this is uh, something that uh, they will be rolling out in the future. Oh, do you see what I I like there? that. Dad I jokes. Like yep. Speaking of Apple, uh, as we all know, the U.S. has gone to uh, war with China as far as trade. They're cutting off a lot of Chinese tech companies from using American technology or parts. And now Apple has, uh, not Apple necessarily, but uh, Foxconn, uh, who makes most of Apple's iPads and iPhones has said, uh, if necessary, they can pull their manufacturing out of China as far as iPhones are concerned and make them outside of China. But that doesn't include all the parts that would still presumably come from China. Or are they making the raw materials in these manufacturing plants or are they just assembling the I Apple think they're parts? assembling them. They're right. assembling them. So if you actually look into the software, because Apple doesn't put uh, where the product is made on the physical product anymore. They stopped doing that with the iPhone 7. Um, it says assembled in India, designed in California. 
assembled in India. Yeah. Weird. Right? So so this is the thing is, and I mean, I mean, I think Apple's been prepared for this for a while. Um, you know, they famously moved a lot of the Mac Pro production back to Texas to help get around some of these problems. Um, you know, there is clearly, th- this is a, a major corporation looking to mitigate a lot of disasters that are happening because of some political fights going back and forth. But realistically speaking, this is actually decent for Apple as well. If they can bring manufacturing closer to the place where things are going to be sold, they're going to save money that way. The big thing now is human capital, right? People actually making this stuff. And the answer to that is you don't have people making this stuff. You have robots making this stuff. So as much as you want to see these jobs come back to areas where potentially you live, they're probably not going to be the vast number of manufacturing jobs that we've seen in the past. Those days are over. We need to get that through our heads. You know, Apple will move production closer to where people are going to be living, but you're not going to be working a line. Another interesting story, a uh, a United Arab Emirates company is uh, coming out with some special facial recognition smart glasses. Uh, They're using the Vuzik smart glasses. They've been around for a number of years, but they've also embedded facial recognition technology. So if there are large events, uh, you know, at a stadium, concert, uh, demonstration, uh, I guess uh, police officers or undercover Officers can basically put these on, and uh, these glasses can recognize faces like 15 per per frame per second. Like so, it's astronomical how fast. So these are going to become basically. Do you remember in the old movies, FBI agents always had Foster Grants? Yes. This will be that. Yeah. You'll be able to tell the narc in the crowd yes. right away. Well, so this is the interesting thing. There was back in 1990, an author named David Brin wrote a book called Earth. And in this book, he talked about how society had basically become a surveillance society because their augmented reality and virtual reality glasses that were called TrueView um, had cameras built into them, and they could identify people at a distance. They could also be used to report crime. They could be used to uh, help you navigate. And, you know, I've said on this show more than once that the next generation of mobile technology is not going to be the rollable phone or the foldable phone. It's going to be taking the phone right out of your hand and putting it on your face. So this is one With step duct towards tape? that. With that's right, <laughs> lick and stick actually. So you know the idea here that augmented reality glasses that have a camera built into them. I think we probably all remember Google Glass, and that didn't work because it was just a little too early. This is coming. And it's not just going to be narcs. It's going to be you. Yes. Well, it's a little disturbing to me where the technology is coming out of and obviously where it's going to be used. United Arab Emirates and over uh, in that area aren't always best known for their human rights. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, you know, what will they be using these glasses for? You know, it's funny because everyone was so concerned about all the cameras, the CCTV cameras that are all over town and populating uh, countries everywhere. China's got... I don't even know how many hundreds of millions of them. The UK is huge with it as well. That doesn't even matter anymore because it's all going to be on the face. There's going to have cops everywhere with these glasses that can instantly scan a crowd, like instantly, and find bad people. We've seen this technology on display at CES and other places where literally there's a crowd of a bunch of journalists looking at it, and it's identifying everybody in, in in the room on a giant screen, at least identifying a person. It hasn't reconciled it back to the database but these things happen now very quickly i'm scared because uh where is it going obviously they're using it for uh law enforcement and military and government but this is going to filter down to consumers like 
you know, 10 years from now, are we going to have our glasses on or contacts in? And as we're walking down the street, instantly it's going to identify people that it recognizes from Facebook? To answer your question, yes. That is exactly what is going to happen. I don't think it's going to take 10 years for that to happen. Oh, I'm scared. So here's the thing. It's time to talk to your local politicians. It's time to talk to the Canadian privacy commissioners and make sure that we have privacy protections in place so that you don't have the bad side of this happening to us here. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, we're going to get the latest updates about the new Xbox and the data plans from Rogers, Bell, and and TELUS that will save you money. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. Let's talk gaming now. When we talk gaming, I have one of the foremost gaming experts in Canada. His name is Mark Salzman, and he's down in Los Angeles covering the big electronics game expo, or E3. Thanks for joining us, Mark. Thanks for having me, Mike. Uh, I wanted to bring you on because I saw some interesting announcements from Microsoft. Microsoft uh, being the folks behind the very popular Xbox gaming system. Uh, the Xbox One is the uh, the latest version, but uh, they've announced a couple things. Uh, a new version of the Xbox uh, coming in a year or so, and also a, uh, a cloud-based streaming service. Mark, uh, again, uh, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Let's talk Xbox. They, they're 19 years old now. Yeah, that's about right. Since the original Xbox came out, um, it was uh, the first big console of the 21st century. Of course, a console is a gaming system that you connect to your TV. And they were also, you know, pretty early on with multiplayer gaming, recognizing that, yeah, it's kind of, it's okay to play against the game's artificial intelligence, but why not connect with other gamers from around Canada or around the world? And uh, they also really sort of pioneered the whole achievement thing, the gamification of it, where with the more you play, the more awards and, and, and other things you, you unlock. So, you know, Xbox has a lot of heritage and, of course, a lot of exclusive uh, games like Halo uh, and Gears of War, and they bought Minecraft. Uh, a few years ago, so you know they're, they've they've got a lot of momentum. They have been, you know, in the last couple of years, stumbled stumbling a little bit in the in the sense that the Nintendo Switch and the PlayStation Four consoles have outsold the Xbox. And I think this is their preemptive strike to announce a new machine for the holiday season of 2020. So yeah, it's a dubbed or, or codenamed Project Scarlet, and this is uh, an insanely powerful machine that uh, allegedly has four times the power that the Xbox One X has, which is their latest and greatest right now. So it's going to have everything you would expect, Mike, under the hood, uh, an advanced AMD processor, and um, you know, 120 frames per second of, of, of uh, motion, which means when you're playing these like games like car racing, they have their Forza racing series and others that you don't want any lag, you want it nice and smooth, and that's 120 frames is twice the average of a typical TV today. Uh, they're going to go with a solid-state drive rather than a hard drive, which is a spinning disk, and it's not as fast, so they're going to go with flash memory. So there's a lot of buzz about what Microsoft announced on Sunday night just ahead of the annual E3 Expo. So a preemptive strike in the video game console wars. Are you an Xbox guy or a Sony guy? I'm actually a PC guy. Oh, I, I'll be honest with you, but and and I travel a lot, so I bring my Nintendo Switch with me. But uh, I, I play. I would say I play both the PlayStation and Xbox pretty evenly. 
sometimes professionally, sometimes personally, if I have a game to review, um, you know, uh, you know, occupational hazard. I have I have the, all the machines I need to get my work done. I, and uh, but but I you know when I've got some downtime, I you know I I do reach for the Xbox controller, but I probably just as much play the other two as well. But if I had my choice, I'm a I'm a computer gamer. I'd rather play on a on a computer uh, laptop or a desktop. That's just that's how I got started in the industry, Mike, actually 25 years ago. In 1994, I, I started reviewing computer games just so I can get them for free. Then I expanded out to console. Was that, was that and Zork? Mobile games. Was that Zork? Yeah, yeah, remember that? Yeah, the text adventure, Zork, yeah. That was in the 80s. That was a little uh, earlier. Uh, I'm, just yeah, try, I'm uh, trying to date you. I'm trying to date you. Um, yeah, I know it, we can go head to head there. Is it uh, is it getting pretty competitive in the gaming space? You know, obviously uh, Microsoft with Xbox and Sony PlayStation. There's PC. There's Nintendo Switch, uh, and also mobile gaming is huge. Apple just recently uh, announced with their Apple TV that it can use Microsoft and Sony uh, wireless controllers. Is it uh, is it getting tight for these guys? Yeah. So there's just a lot more choice. Right. I mean, just like going to your movie theaters is one way to consume video content, but there's Netflix, there's Amazon Prime Video, there's traditional TV. There's just so many more options now. And same, same thing is happening in the gaming space. A lot of the growth is in mobile gaming. And if you talk to players who are 50 plus, they are more likely playing on an iPad or a smartphone than they are reaching for an Xbox or PlayStation controller. Um, I think it's great for everyone. It just means, you know, there's different kinds of competition now. Um, I love the idea of, of going to an app store on my phone or on my tablet and being able to download content that's free or close to it. And, um, you know, and, and it's a different experience using your fingertips on a touchscreen. So it's not a one-size-fits-all scenario. There's a lot more games here at E3 that are virtual reality, augmented reality. I mentioned Minecraft earlier. Well, Minecraft Earth is a new augmented reality game coming out this summer from Microsoft where you use your iPhone or your Android device, and it superimposes those digital bricks onto your real-world environment. Angry Birds, the game just did that as well, and of course Pokemon Go uh, was one of the first. So there's no shortage of ways to play, whether it's on an Apple Watch, whether it's on your PC, a console, I think it's, or even a smart speaker. There are now, you were joking earlier, I think, about the Zork game, but there are adventure games you can now play with your voice on your Amazon Echo or Google Home speaker. So I think it's pretty cool. Never have to get anything done. Just play games everywhere. <laughs> know, right. Well, and speaking exactly. And speaking about games everywhere, this was another interesting announcement. Uh, we've heard Google uh, has their Stadia coming out, a cloud-based gaming service. Uh, Microsoft announced their X Cloud gaming service. Not a lot of details, but what do we know about it so far? Yeah. So Microsoft spent about two hours laying out the future of Xbox games and consoles and services during their press event on Sunday. There were 60 games shown, a new controller, and of course the Project Scarlet console we've been talking about. But by comparison, Microsoft spent less than two minutes out of those two hours talking about its xCloud game streaming service. So they did promise to go big at E3 in response to Google Stadia, which, by the way, for your listeners that are not sure what we're chatting about, the future looks like instead of um, 
playing a game that you buy at the store or have to download first and play, you're just going to be able to access it in the cloud, just like Netflix. You don't have to wait to download that movie or you don't have to go buy a DVD anymore. Gaming is going that way as well. So Microsoft promised big things at E3. I think they're a little behind. Um, you know, they, I, I don't think they made as big of a splash with this as they were hoping because I don't think it's going to be quite ready yet. But the idea is uh, Project X Cloud. Um, they announced it back in October of last year, promising to stream games to consoles, computers, and mobile devices with public trials starting in 2019. But because they were so light on details uh, this week, I don't know if it's going to be ready for 2019. But the idea is you don't need to download a game digitally. You don't even you don't have to go buy it on a piece of plastic. You're just going to be able to launch it. But we don't know much more than that um, uh, unless I missed something. It was such a brief mention. I was kind of disappointed. It's interesting because we're seeing this emergence of cloud-based gaming and people are still trying to wrap their heads around it. Do you think this might uh, be one of the last consoles that uh, Microsoft and even Sony come out with? It is interesting because the more of the power that we're seeing on the back end, these servers that companies like Google and Microsoft have to build, uh, and, and of course, the you know with 5G coming and faster Wi-Fi 6 and all that, it could be the beginning of the end of a, a dedicated box that you need in your home. I still think we're a ways away from that. I still think you're going to need some local power to complement what you're accessing over the internet. Uh, not to mention, not everybody in Canada has uh, access to super fast uh, speeds where you can stream a 4K game at 120 frames per second and it'd be decent to look at and experience. So I still think it's a little bit early, uh, not to mention 5G also maybe stuttered with uh, some of the issues that Huawei is facing and some others. So it, 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 it does beg the question, hey, do we really need uh, a four or $500 machine? Um, I, I think it's still too early to speculate, but it's exciting. Because if, if it doesn't matter what you're playing on and you're going to get a comparable experience because all the power is on Microsoft's side uh, in the cloud, that's pretty cool. I just don't know how much of a reality that is going to be in the near future. You've heard it here first. That was Mark Salzman, Master Gamer of the very, Universe. Not very definitive in my answer there, but, <laughs> you know, you know I, I, I'll believe it when I see it. I, I love all these, you know, hypotheticals, but I want to actually experience it, and then I can give a better answer than that, Mike. You deserve a, a, a firmer answer, but. Mark, <laughs> Exciting nonetheless. xCloud coming. xCloud coming soon. Mark, I want to thank you for joining the program. Uh, always a pleasure to chat with you. Likewise. Thank you, Mr. Agarbo. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk here on Get Connected. Stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. Let's talk data plans. Uh, one of the biggest complaints I hear from listeners is that uh, their cell phone bills are much too expensive. We pay too much here in Canada compared to the rest of the world. Uh, especially when it comes to data. Well, it looks like a data war is on once more. Rogers has uh, announced an unlimited plan. Is it truly unlimited? Well, we'll uh, dig down into that. Uh, For that, we have our expert, Shruti Shakar from MobileSyrup.com to help us uh, figure this all out. Thanks for joining us, Shruti. Thanks for having me, Mike. So what are the details of this? This just happened this week. Roger said, hey, we've got <laughs> unlimited plans, all the data you can use on your cell phone for 75 bucks a month. Yeah, it's, um, it's been a lot. <laughs> There's a lot that's happened. So uh, just to break it down, so Rogers did come out with their uh, infinite uh, unlimited data plans. Um, there, there is a catch there. 
there is a catch, but I will I will get to that in a second. So uh, the Rogers plan essentially is you get 10 uh, gigabytes of data at max fee for $75 a month. That's the base price. Uh, and they go up to $125 with 50 gigabytes of data. So, I mean, really, though, like, that's a really good deal when you look at it from uh, the outside perspective. And, you know, I spoke with the vice, or sorry, not the vice president, the president of wireless services today, and um, he was saying that, you know, part of Rogers coming up with these plans is because they're preparing themselves for 5G, because as we know, when 5G comes into effect, we are going to be using a lot more data, and it's going to be used for a lot of other things and not just your phone plans. But for now, consumers will now be able to rejoice because there's there's a lot of uh, data that's going to be available. But the caveat is that um, they're going to throttle the data. So once you go over the 10 gigabytes of data, uh, it will the speeds of it will be reduced to 256 kbps, which is essentially 3G uh, network speeds, and that's pretty slow. Um, if we look at the Bell uh, deal, which they also launched a promotional deal, it's very similar uh, in nature, and they also intend on throttling the speeds. They're offering $75 per month for 10 gigabytes, and then Telus also has, you know, decided, hey, I need to, we need to also market ourselves. So they've uh, launched uh, 10 gigabytes of data with five extra gigabytes of data, so 15 for 75 a month, and they have not mentioned anything about throttling your data. So it's unlimited data for Rogers, but not really. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, like, you, uh, it's, it's like, it's, it's funny because, you know, um, you look at that and you're like, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna end up throttling it. But, you know, I, I, I actually asked myself, I was like, how much data do I use in a month? Right now I have about eight gigabytes of data and I, I use about six to seven gigabytes of data per month. So realistically, like I could probably get by with 10 gigabytes of data. But I mean, that's because I'm like streaming on YouTube or I'm on Netflix. But if I'm just doing simple browsing or I'm just listening to music, which I've downloaded for that matter, because as you know, Spotify and Apple Music and all those other services allow you to download the music. I mean, 10 gigabytes of data is a lot. Of, it's a lot. And, you know, the thing about the Rogers plan is you can actually share uh, the plans with other family members. So let's say you have 10 gigabytes of data and then one of your family members has 10 gigabytes of data. That's essentially 20 gigabytes of data that you could share between the two of you. And that's, that's a lot of data. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, back a couple of years ago, there was the big price war, 60 bucks for 10 gigs of data. I was one of the lucky ones to be able to uh, to get that. And believe it or not, I actually hit pretty close to 10 gigs uh, every month. So this is kind of appealing, but obviously it's about 15 bucks more. And am I really going to get that value? Because when it does hit 10, gig- 10 gigs, uh, they're going to throttle it, which would probably make it unusable for me. Yeah, and, and you know the thing is too... When we see that we have 10 gigabytes of data, you almost end up not realizing that you have 10 gigabytes of data and you kind of take advantage of that of that number. You, know, you, you keep thinking to yourself, oh, I have enough data. I have enough data. I can do this. I can do that. And then before you even know it, know it, you get a message from your service provider being like, hey, you used up 90% of your data. So you might want to get like extra, <laughs> extra data and, and add that to your bill. So, you know, like I, it makes sense for Rogers to come out with this plan. Um, As we know, the CRTC and Minister Baines, the innovation minister, has been pushing for more affordability, pushing for for more, uh, for better prices, uh, rather. And so, you know, they even launched, the CRTC launched a wireless review uh, in February to to kind of assess the 
the market, you know, do we have affordable options? Do Canadians have options that they can they can go for? And and that hearing is taking place. And so Rogers was like, hey, let's let's give this to consumers now because we want we want everyone to know that we're sort of being affordable and we're we're having you know the options for Canadians. But it, it's going to be interesting. We haven't, you know, when I spoke with Rogers, the, we don't know any numbers yet. We don't know how this is going to affect subscribers, how it's going to affect the average revenue per user. It, I mean, there there are a lot of factors here that are going to that we're going to need to look into now. What do you think uh, precipitated this? Uh, I know you said earlier that uh, the Rogers uh, folks are saying that they're preparing uh, themselves and customers for 5G and all the wondrous things that will come with that. Uh, do you think Freedom Mobile is a, a big factor in this yet, uh, uh, offering more competition, or are they still uh, a bit player? Well, uh, as we know that they did offer a very similar type of deal uh, last year. And so, you know, the one thing I can say about Freedom, though, is that their network isn't as broad-ranging as Rogers or Bell or Telus, right? They're not a national carrier. So as, as, and while they're still working on fixing their network, I think at the end of the day, they still play a very key uh, component in all of this. I think having a player like Freedom, having cheaper options and um, drawing in more customers, I think the big three are thinking, hey, you know, there is competition and we should be matching that competition. So I do feel that Freedom does have a stake in this game. Whether or not their network is good, I, I mean, I, I don't have freedom. I just heard from people that sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. But for the for like to the fact of the matter is that Freedom's network is not as big as Rogers is, and now that Rogers has something like this, it's very evident that they could very well dominate the market. It's possible. We're talking with Shruti Shikar from MobileSyrup.com, all about the new data plans uh, that have rolled out from Rogers, Telus, and Bell this week. 75 bucks uh, from Rogers. All-you-can-eat data, up to a point, 10 gigabytes. And then after that, it gets throttled down to a slower speed. And Bell and Telus have uh, released competing pa- plans at $75, but 15 gigabytes at uh, full speed. We'll have to see uh, where this all takes us. Thanks for joining us, Shruti. Thanks for having me, Mike. When we come back from the break, we're going to learn about 3D printing from uh, an expert who actually makes the printers right here in British Columbia. British Columbia. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You're back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here. I brought one of our Get Connected uh, experts, John Beeler, because we're going to talk 3D printing. And you're like a 3D printing nut. How many printers do you have in your garage? Too many. Too many. Over 20 right now. 20. You've got 20 3D printers. Well, we're going to talk about a really cool one that uh, is uh, actually developed here in Vancouver. We've got one of the founders. His name is Eugene Suyu. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, pleasure. Your company's name is Tinkering, and uh, you actually have developed this printer here in uh, BC. And uh, from what I understand as well, you're coming out with a new model, the Ditto Proer. Uh I've never heard of your particular company before in the 3D printing market. That being said, I don't really know that many other 3D printing <laughs> companies, so that's why, I'm here. That's why you're here. Uh, but what I was really fascinated is your whole business model. 3D printers, uh, I think a lot of people thought it would take the world by storm. Uh, I don't think we've seen a huge consumer demand for it outside of kind of hobbyists, but you're focusing more on the education market, schools. Mm-hmm. That's right, and and I think that's, really taking it from an approach where in order to get to consumer market eventually one day 
we really need to have a base of individuals that can use it. Um, so that's you know not just a strategic one for a business, but I think one that is really um, setting the industry out you know to succeed. And how long have you guys been around? Oh, my math on this is a little off. I think it's seven years uh, from my perspective. Well, so that you're like years. you're like OG. Yeah. Eugene and I met back in the day when we were both hobbyists, and we were constantly trying to outdo each other with the per- the. Print quality of our printers. Yes, and Eugene eventually made a better printer than any of us did, and then he turned that into a company. Yeah, really more of a project than anything else yeah. uh, as a start. And uh, yeah, so tell tell us about your particular printer. What sets it apart from other three D printers? So um, you know, fundamental technology is uh, the same. Uh, the, the way that we approach the hardware came from a perspective of focusing on three elements, uh, ease of use, reliability, those are the two big ones, and then it still has to be able to deliver the quality of performance that you would expect out of a 3D printer. Um, Without the last one, a 3D printer is kind of a gimmick. Yeah. Um, So focusing on the first two was key because at the time, the products weren't quite as reliable, and as a designer myself, uh, I wanted a product that would just work. Um, Print me my things that I designed, and that eventually led into uh, a mean time of failure for about two years on our product before we really see some big issues. And that was something that the industry wasn't quite there yet at the time. It's getting there. It's interesting because I, I tried a 3D printer back a few years ago and I just didn't have a great experience. It took forever. Uh, the end result wasn't fantastic. I think I tried to print out a 3D version of our company logo mm-hmm. and I just thought, not ready. <laughs> not yeah. ready for prime time. Are we getting there? We're getting there. Yeah. It, it still takes time. 3D printing just ultimately takes time. Um, But we're getting there. We're getting very accurate. We're getting to the detail level that we want. Um, And a lot of the times you can actually use the final output as a replacement for mass production. Um, Well, it's it's interesting because John, again, uh, I've known you for many years now and, uh, you know, you do come from that whole 3D printing world. Uh, You're like a, you're a madman now, like printing out all sorts of cool things. You've printed out our logos uh, that we use in uh, shoots for the TV show and online. Uh, we've gotten new camera gear in, and you've uh, actually 3D printed little holders and clamps. It's actually got a practical aspect to it now. And that was actually why I got into 3D printing in the first place is because my background is photography and filmmaking. And I really like the fact that a 3D printer could help you create and, and modify camera accessories really is how I got into it. That was sort of my gateway drug into 3D printing because at the time I wanted to use my GoPro and attach it to things that they didn't make attachments for. And I found online that there was a lot of other people like me designing these really cool little gadgets and gizmos that you just couldn't buy. It's funny now because even GoPro has started to copy the 3D printing design community <laughs> in selling those products that yeah. are you know, injection molded or, or even cut out of metal. And uh, But it's, a, it's one of those... Uh, communities that sort of feed on itself that way and that's always what I've really enjoyed about the community too is people are very open and share you know even the 3D printer uh, design files themselves are mostly open source and a lot of people have been able to you know start with a a foundation that works and then build their own sort of to their own liking well uh, again going back uh, we're we're talking with Eugene Suyu he's uh, one of the founders uh, behind Tinkering uh, 3D printer company here based in Vancouver which I thought was pretty cool Uh, again you're focused on the education market going after schools your printers uh, the new one uh, the Ditto Pro Proer I'm saying that right uh, it's coming in around $3,500 that's you know from the all these consumer printers I've seen I mean they're under $500 Mm -hmm. now Uh, 
are schools paying this? Why wouldn't they just buy a whole whack of $500 printers? Yeah, they, I mean, they are. And the, the reason why is multiple factors. It's not just the, the price point. It's also reliability. It's also the ecosystem that we've built. But there's an element of safety and certification that is required for any schools to bring a technology in. They want something that's safe, that's electrically sound, and won't hurt the students or the teachers who are operating the, the device. I guess you don't want the 3D printer burning the school down when no, you, uh, you, <laughs> when you don't. Is um, and yeah, you, you, you know, you, you really have to pick and choose because those $500 ones, while they work, you have to spend a lot of time tweaking and tuning. I think that's the problem I had. I, I that's picked a the, cheap one. One of the biggest problems with the low-end machines, if you're, you know, and certainly for a hobbyist, it's fantastic because you learn how it works and you know, but you're constantly working on it. It's like one of those... Uh, cars that you have in the garage that you're always working on yeah you still love it but it's (laughs) you can never drive it when you actually want to drive it no no (laughs) yeah i mean the second part is that the the price point while expensive we approach it from an an educational perspective so we provide teachers and educators with resources that are aligned to curriculum and that's something that you don't really see in the industry and then we have a software suite that is really fine-tuned for education inside the classroom so that it's easy for teachers to use without really having to tune much of anything. So what are the, what are the kids learning then besides just printing out crazy stuff? There's multiple things. So uh, BC curriculum is changing significantly. Um, we've got this whole new curriculum called ADST, which is for advanced uh, design and technology, I believe. And you are learning technology, you're learning STEM skills, sciences, you're folding math into the whole equation. Um, and, when, art. and art, yeah. Um, you're not really learning 3D printing. It's the 3D printing portion comes out as a result of combining all these elements together. So learning how to build models, 3D models, and things like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then taking all those skill sets and merging them into something that they can actually apply in the real world. Um, and the, the amazing thing with that skill set that you just described, there's so many industries that that can benefit, mm-hmm. right? Everything from video game and filmmaking and you know all those type of design type uh, jobs as well as engineering and more traditionally what you would expect a 3d printer to be used for is for making prototypes and and, you know parts and things like that but there's just so many different potential avenues that a a student could take that skill set we're talking again with eugene suyu from tinkering a 3d printer company based here in vancouver they've got a new model coming out the ditto proer got to check it out Uh, what's your website uh, as www.tinkerine.com, T-I-N-K-E-R-I-N-E.com. Fantastic 3D printer, uh, great for students. Got to check it out. When we come back from the break, a lot more tech to talk here on Get Connected. Stay tuned. You're back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with Graham Williams. It's that time. We're going to give you the skill of the week. And this is for the Amazon Echo speaker owners out there that have the Alexa voice assistant built in. These speakers are amazing because you can program them to do hundreds of thousands of different voice commands or skills. What do you have this week for us, Graham? Well, you know that I like to play guitar. Yes. And you know that I don't play particularly well. No, but what if your guitar was in tune? Well, this is the thing. So I used to use, well, I still do use a digital guitar tuner, and they're they're quite handy, right? They will show you visually whether your guitar string is uh, flat or sharp. But I've actually found a skill this week that helps you learn to tune your guitar by ear using Alexa. It's called, wait for it, Guitar Tuner. 
Pretty simple, right? Didn't see that coming. So essentially what it does is it plays the tone of the string that you are trying to tune, and you're going to try to match that tone by ear. It's a bit of a skill that you have to develop, but it's a good skill to have as a musician. And as you hit that tone, it will move on to the next one for you until your guitar is in tune. It will do this with any Alexa-powered speaking device. Very cool. And again, for any of these skills that we talk about here on the program, you have to go to your Amazon Alexa app that is on uh, your iPhone or Android phone or tablet. And uh, you can also do this through the web through your Amazon account as well. And again, there's hundreds of thousands of these things. So if you're a guitar player, you can tune your guitar. Guitar tuner. Very cool. That's all the time we have left this week on Get Connected. Don't forget to listen to our sister show, The App Show, every Sunday from 10 to 11. We talk about all the best apps out there. And tomorrow, if you own a Huawei smartphone, what's going to happen in August when Google will shut off updates and access to popular Google apps like YouTube? Well, Huawei does have a backup plan, and we will tell you what that is. want to thank the folks that helped put the show together, Graham, John, and AJ. This is all of us logging off. We'll see you again next time. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, TuneIn, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.